I'm going to be in Mark chapter 5 today. I'm going to be looking at a passage that begins in verse 21 and goes to the end of the chapter. So we'll probably not take the time to read it all at one time, but we'll, we will make this point to go through it. Um, but as you're turning there, let me just set it up to you this way. In our, in our world, in the United States of America, we have a family crisis. We can't even agree on what a man or a woman is in this world. So I think we might have a family problem here. Let alone what the concept of marriage is. And I, and I recognize, and some people may consider this, I don't know, out of touch, out of date, but I believe what the Bible says, which is a marriage is a man and a woman who commit to each other for a lifetime. That's what the Bible's definition of it is, and I happen to hold to that. I don't. I know the Supreme Court has a different opinion of some of this stuff, and that is what it is. But the point of that is just to say, tell you we got a family crisis in this country, and it's not just a conceptual, ideological family crisis or even a political threat. It's a very real issue that some of us, a lot of us, are dealing with on a daily, daily basis. I mean. It's a running joke. You go to family gatherings, Christmas, family reunions, and what do you expect? There's going to be bickering. There's going to be somebody fighting about something. That's just how it is. I mean, that's like real life for some of us. Um, we've got parents who are not on speaking terms with their children. And we could argue why that is, but the fact that it happens is terrible. There are children who are disrespectful to their parents, and I'm not just talking about the little ones either. I'm talking about the grown ones who are disrespectful to their parents. There are husbands and wives who can't even get along. And the long-term result of that is that we have divorces, which is painful emotionally, spiritually, and financially as well. And there are very real issues that whether, whether you are having those kind of relational problems, there's stuff that you have to deal with and stuff that, that you may have an opinion on or a position on that we might argue, and I would agree with you, is, is correct, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with it within your family. People that are addicted to drugs, people that are having homosexual tendencies or relationships, that are involved in crimes, that are having money problems, that are having abuse that they're having to deal with. Could you imagine having a daughter who is in an abusive relationship? What do you do about that? You see what I'm saying? That there's a real problem. There's a real, there's a real family problem that we have to deal with. And, and we need answers to these problems. These are not stuff that we just want to say, well, you deal with it, we'll figure it out later. No. It's, that's what we've been doing. And as they say, kicking the can down the road too long. We need something to change. One of the answers that I think is quite helpful is that we need fathers who are countercultural, who will go against what this culture says you're supposed to be. That means stay with your kid's mom. That means work hard, provide for your family, serve your wife, serve your children, go to church, be kind, and make the world a better place. What I just described is not how this world thinks of fathers. They think of fathers as just kind of doing what they want to do. No, your life as a father should be about your family. That said, I'll just tell you, fathers, I'm a dad myself. I've got four children. 
And there's a whole lot against us for making even that happen. I'll just tell you, maybe this sounds arrogant to me, but I'm committed to being that kind of man that I just described. I'm committed to that. It hadn't fixed everything. It hadn't fixed it even in my family. I can promise you we're up against a battle that is bigger than we are. It's hard to even keep up with the weapons that are coming at our family. Just a few years ago, or a few years ago, it might have been a particular kind of uh, issue. But today, I mean, it's whole new things. I mean, we thought maybe the cell phones were the problems. Well, maybe that was or maybe it wasn't. But now all the stuff that's on it, stuff I don't even know what it is. There's, there's threats coming from your teachers. There's threats coming from kids. There's threats coming from every direction. There's just the world is too big. It's too much for us to fight against. That's the feeling I have. Maybe y'all ain't feeling it, but I'm feeling that. I just feel overwhelmed by it. I don't have, I can't get armed enough spiritually. I can't get armed enough intellectually. And I certainly can't get armed enough <laughs> physically <laughs> with enough weapons to fight them all off. And if I did, I'd probably be in jail. And then there's some of y'all that are sitting here that say, well, Matthew, that all sounds good, but. I'm where I am now, whether it's my fault or somebody else's, but the damage is already done. What do I do? And I can tell you, I don't know. <laughs> can't, being a good daddy ain't going to fix what was done in the past. There's real damage. But let me just give you this right now as the, as the headline to everything else I'm about to tell you, because that's just where we are. Can I just tell you, and I know this sounds like a simplistic answer, but y'all got to get a hold of this and we'll spend the next However much time I can take take with you to explain this, Jesus fixes everything. What's wrong with your family if you're sitting there saying, well, Matthew, you you didn't talk about my thing, or man, you hit it nail on the head, whatever it is, but whatever it is that's wrong with your family that I may or may not know about, I can't fix it, you can't fix it, Jesus can fix it. You can be the best dad in the world. I know a man right now that if I were to describe to you what would be the best father in the history of fathers, I could say that's that man. But I can also point to situations in his family that are hurting him and grieving him, and he is crushed by those situations. It is not because he was a bad father. It's because this is a wicked world. We have to understand that there's only one fix to this, and it is taking it to the Savior. And I want you to see in this passage, that's what we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about. There's a passage, there's two different people that get healed. There's a woman who's been sick for a long time, and then there's a little girl who's on her deathbed. And Jesus heals both of these people. But as we go through this, I want you to see that this is a passage, while yes, it's about Jesus healing some people, it's ultimately about how His touch repairs and restores families. I want you to see this. Just quick walk through the passage. We'll do that, and then I want to give you some application from it. First of all, we're introduced to Jairus in the beginning of the passage. Go with me to Mark chapter 5 and look with me in verse 22. After something else that happened in verse 21 and previous, then he says in verse 22, something happened. Behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, so Jairus sees Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and he shall, she shall live. So we meet Jairus and he's got a daughter that's sick and he's begging Jesus, please come with me because my daughter is about to die. And then as he's going, it says in verse 24, and Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. So Jesus says, I'm going to go with you. He's going on the way to Jairus' house. 
And on the way, there's all these people. This is just sort of, I think, Jesus' life. Everybody just crowded around him. They knew he could heal. They knew he could help. So they were all right there with him. But as he's going there, it says in verse 25, we're introduced to this other woman, this other person, a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years. She's a woman who has been, been sick for 12 years, a particular kind of illness, which I'm uh, not exactly sure what this is, but it was some kind of problem with her blood. Maybe she had had hemorrhaging. Maybe she had um, had a blood disease of some sort. But the point is, there's something wrong with her blood. We know that. We do know that. But she's been this way for a very long time. And what Jesus does, as he's introduced to these people, he goes, he's going to see the, the daughter. He meets this woman. Along the way, as, she, as he meets them, he is touching them and healing them. What you want you to see here in verse 27, it says, And when she had heard, talking about the woman, that she'd heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind him and touched his garment. And it says in verse 29, And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. The point was that the problem that she was having was fixed. How? Immediately upon touching Jesus. If you go all the way to the end of the passage, Jesus has now entered into the home of Jairus. And at the end of this, in verse, uh, verse 41, Jesus takes the damsel by the hand. This is Jairus' daughter. He takes her by the hand. He, he says, Talitha Kuma, and he, it's being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. So he picks her up by the hand. And he says, lady, get up. And straightway, verse 42, the damsel arose and walked. Rose and walked. I want you to see that in both cases, he touches them and he heals them. Because he's fixing their physical ailment, but I want you to also see in this passage, he's doing more than fixing their sickness. He reconnects this woman who's been sick with this issue of blood, what did you say, though? I think it was 12 years? He's been there for 12 years she's had this problem. She's had this issue of blood. I happen to believe it was probably some kind of constant bleeding, some hemorrhaging of her body, something that probably left her weak. But furthermore, in that culture, she would have been considered unclean. Anybody that would have had that kind of bleeding happening, she would have been considered unclean. I happen to think she was in isolation. We're seeing a woman here. There's no mention of her family. There's no mention of anybody. She might have had a family, but I believe she was away from them, not able to be with them because they would have considered, considered her unclean. She was probably kicked out of the house, if you were. But what happens when Jesus, he meets her, he touches her, he heals her, he actually, look in verse 34, he says this to her. This is what he says to the woman. Daughter, by faith, hath made thee whole. Don't miss that word that he calls her. He calls her daughter. What I'm trying to get you to see, here's a woman who has been in isolation, who has been a part of no family, and Jesus, he touches him, and he makes her part of the family. He brings her in there. He, she's now able to not only have him part of, be part of Jesus' family, but I believe at this point she could have went home and sat at the table with mom and daddy, with her husband if she had a husband or her family. She could have done that. They wouldn't have considered her unclean. That bleeding was stopped. It was done. It was taken care of. So Jesus, in healing her, he reconnects this woman to her family. He also, he's bringing people together, this family together in times of distress. If you go to the end of the chapter, in verses 38 through about 41 there, this is when Jesus enters into Jairus' house, and they're, they're upset, they're weeping, there's a lot of turmoil going on, there's some people saying all kinds of things, but they're coming together, they're there together, and then I want you to see, regardless of what all these people are saying, in verse, um, excuse me, in verse 40, in verse 40, 
He said, these people are laughing at him, but then he says, but he, he has put them all out. So he takes all these people who are naysayers and, and, and scorners. He takes the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and enters where the damsel was lying. You see what's happening here? There's all these people outside of the room, but he takes mama and daddy and he walks into the little room with the, with the little girl. He brings that family together. He brings them together in a time of distress and he's there with them bringing them peace. He brings families together. And He restores love and He restores life where there were, where there was death before, where there was tears, where there was anger before. He's now bringing laughter and excitement. In fact, in verse 42, it says everybody's astonished. They're, wow, they're just shocked because of this. But before they were upset, they were upset because of this. But what's the difference? The difference maker is the touch of Jesus. I want you to see that it's all because of His touch that we have the opportunity not only to get healing, the healing that's talked about here. I don't want to miss that, but I want you to get that next level of the meaning here, that there's healing and there's restoration for the family. That's what He provides. See, the thing that we need to do to get to this healing, to get to this restoration, is belief. And again, that's another one of those things that You've never, you've ever been in church. You know you're supposed to believe. Y'all do know that, right? Just believe. So it kind of almost gets a little, we get a little numb to it. But we really do have to believe. Believe to the point where we trust. Believe to the point where we lean in. Believe, believe to the point where we actually act on this. Which is why Jesus says, "I want you to look at three verses here." Verse 34. This is what Jesus says to the woman: "Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague." The difference maker was her believing that Jesus could restore. She went to the one that could restore because she believed. She didn't believe. She would have kept trying what she was doing. But she tried something different, which is to go to Jesus. She believed. Go to verse uh, 39, I believe it is. No, excuse me, verse 36. And the Darius, when he comes back to his house in verse 35, his daughter's been sick. He gets news in verse 35. His daughter's dead. And then in verse 36, Jesus heard the word that was spoken. He heard that the little girl was dead. And says unto the ruler, he says to Jairus, Be not afraid, only believe. He says, Don't worry, I've got this. You, you don't need to be afraid. I understand there's reasons to be afraid. I get this. Your daughter, you've got words, she just died. But you need to understand, I'm here to fix this. You need to believe in me. That's the difference maker. It says, you put your faith in me because I can. Now, I want you to see one more, verse 39. He goes in uh, into this house in verse 38. Everybody's upset. They're weeping and wailing. It says in verse 38, verse 39, and when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead. The damsel is not dead, but sleeping. He says, listen, folks. What are you fretting about? I'm here. I'm here to fix this. What are you worried about? Stop fretting and start believing. I believe that the reason some of us continue to deal with some of the family problems that we deal with, whether it's a husband-wife relationship that's not working, whether it is a sibling relationship that's not working, 
or even as a parent dealing with some of the things our children are dealing with, some of the forces of evil that are coming at them, and we don't really ever see resolution on these. You know, one of the things I, I believe, firmly believe the reason we do that is because we're still trying to fix it. Because we're still trying to, to make it right. We're trying our hardest. And bless you for trying. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying give up. I'm just saying it ain't going to work. <laughs> We've got to start believing in the one who can. What we're saying is we believe in our ability. We're saying I can do this. If I just work a little hard, can I just confess to you that I'm telling you, I'm giving you a window into my own soul when I say what I just said? So whenever I have a problem in front of me, I just think, Matthew, you need to focus a little bit harder. You need to spend a little more time on this. You need to try a little bit harder. You need to try a little differently. Maybe, maybe try a different task this time. Try this thing. Try that thing. And I will work myself to the bone trying to solve a problem that I am actually physically and emotionally and spiritually incapable of solving. You need to understand that you must put your faith no longer in yourself, but put your faith in the one who can. You must believe that Jesus is the hope that your family needs. This, this church, I'm sorry, this passage, these two people, they understood. They finally got to the place. Now, there's a lot of backstory. Don't get me wrong. We're, we're dropping in the end of the story, the good news part of it. There's a lot of backstory there where they had to struggle. We know this woman who had an issue of blood. She worked for 12 years and nothing fixed her problem. She finally came to the conclusion, let me try Jesus. Now, I'm not recommending you kind of do this, well, let me try Jesus. I, I don't think that's the right attitude. I think she did have that attitude. Let me just tell you, let me try Jesus. But I'm telling you, when you do get your place, get yourself to the place where you believe in Jesus, that's where things can happen. That's where transformation can happen. That's where you will see the change. And we will not see change. We will not see help until we take it to Jesus. So we need to believe. We need to trust. We need to lean in on Him. And we have to believe in spite of the inevitable pushback we're going to get. I want you to see this in Darius, first of all. Go to me to verse 22. It says that this man who's coming to Jesus is one of the rulers of the synagogue, Darius by name. Now, it's not unimportant that he is a ruler of the synagogue. He's a religious guy. He's, in, he's involved, deeply involved, kind of one of the head honchos of the, of the religious synagogue crowd. He's one of those people, and you say, well, what does that matter? Well, the reason that matters is because these are the same people in chapter 3 and verse 6 of Mark that are threatening to kill Jesus. These are the same people in chapter 3 and verse 22 who say Jesus is demonic, that he's got devils in him. These are the same people that in chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7 accuse Jesus of blasphemy. So, Jairus, I know he at least heard this stuff. For all we know, he might have been saying this stuff. But we do know that he would have, by connecting himself to Jesus, he was putting himself in the direct line of fire from all of his peers, all of his people to say, Jairus, have you lost your mind, man? What are you doing? This guy's a blasphemer. This guy deserves death. This guy is not somebody that, that we need to be hanging around with. This guy is a demon-possessed man. We need to back off from him. But Jairus, what does he do? In verse 23, he comes and he beseeches. Well, in verse 22, he falls at Jesus' feet. Verse 23, he besought him. He begs him, saying, I've got this daughter who needs, needs your help. He falls at Jesus' feet and he begs him, Please, Jesus, come and help me. 
he's going against he's going against what his uh, what his friends would have said. He's going against what his his uh, people around him would have suggested he do. He's risking his reputation. He's risking everything to go and talk to Jesus because he believes that Jesus is going to solve this for him. We've got to start putting the restoration of our family before what anybody else thinks. Let me just give you an example. A lot of us, myself included, try to involve your children in sporting activities. Which is great, good, nothing wrong with them. But I, was, I hate to be the one to break this to you, but um, I don't know what the odds are, but they're pretty, pretty minuscule that your kids will play professional level. Probably a pretty light chance, unless you feel free to pay for their right to do so. Probably a very slight chance they're even going to play for professional, I mean, the, the college level. Are y'all with me? Your kids ain't that good. Sorry, my kids ain't that good. All I'm trying to say is there's a minuscule chance that they're ever going to really do anything beyond just enjoying the game, playing whatever sport they play. But I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, there is a 100% chance that they will face the Creator one day. I'm telling you that, not to say to take, pull your kids out of t-ball or whatever it is they do. No, I ain't saying that. You keep doing that. They have fun, it's good for them, they learn, I get all that. But I am trying to say, if that's a priority for you, if you're more interested in little Johnny getting upset with you because you pulled him out because you need to make sure your family's in church, or if you're so upset because the coach isn't going to like you because you missed the game because you want to make sure your kids are involved in the church and learn from about things in the church, if you're more upset about not upsetting the apple cart on that front than you are about making sure your family gets to Jesus, you got your priorities out of, out of line here. My children think they will die if they don't have a cell phone. Candidly, their dad thinks he will die if he doesn't have a cell phone. I think they live under the back without phone myself, too. But I want to tell you that your children, rather not just your children, children have survived, and y'all know this, have survived for centuries without cell phones. Furthermore, if you're going to give them one for whatever reason, and again, I'll just, again, full disclosure, I'm not bashing on you for giving your kid a phone. My kids have phones, so okay, just so we're all on the same page. But they also don't need access to it all the time and everything on it. And I know they're going to get mad at you. i got to do this and whatever. But you understand that your child needs a touch from heaven more than they need a touch from TikTok or whatever other thing that they get on there. you understand that? We've got, to, we've got to see that, 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 that your children are more valuable than anybody, including their opinion of you. Also, dads and moms, don't let your money or your pride get in the way of doing what your family needs you to do. And I say this as a man who gives probably too much work and attention to my, my work, to the point of where I my family doesn't get what they need from me. I need to not worry so much about what the boss man or lady says about me. I need to be more worried about what my children need from me. 
I need to be less worried about how many houses I can build up, or how many boats I can buy, or how many vacations I can go on, or how much money is in my 401k. I need to be a little less worried about that, a little more concerned about do my children know the Lord, and am I showing them the Lord in my life? And sometimes that means shutting the computer down. I'm talking about my work, shutting the computer down, going downstairs and taking some going outside with my young Whatever that looks like for you, I don't know, but that's what it looks like for me. I'm trying to get you to see we've got to stop thinking or worrying about what other people think, and we've got to do what it takes to get our family to the touch of Jesus. His touch. That's what believing in His touch looks like. We have to believe in His touch in spite of our own ignorance as well. We've got this lady that he's introduced to in verse 25. This woman has an issue of blood for 12 years. It says there in verse 26 that she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had. Uh, she had tried every known cure at that time. I, I recognize that medicine would not have been as advanced as ours is today, so it might have been a simple problem to solve for us today, but that doesn't matter. She wasn't living today. She was living then with the things they had been, so she was trying everything she had. And she threw everything she had at it. She threw every dollar she had at it. She probably tried some weird stuff. Just tried anything. Some of y'all know how that is. If you're really sick, you're really hurting, you want it gone, you'll do anything. You'll throw anything at it. And she did. But the key to this is in the, that, the last part of that verse there. And was nothing better, but rather grew worse. Everything she tried, not only did it not fix her, it actually made things worse. It just kept going on and on and on. And she does seem to think in verse 28 that she says there that if I may touch but the to close, I shall be whole. I, I think if I'm interpreting this, and maybe I'm being too harsh, but I sort of read what she's saying there, and I think, I think she might just think there's some magic in Jesus. Like if I can just touch him, that that's going to fix everything. But, but the most important part of this is look at what happens in verse 29. When she does touch in verse 27, verse 29, straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. She may not have had her theology all squared away. She may not have had all the answers. In fact, I can just tell you, she didn't have all the answers. She didn't know exactly what she was doing. In fact, she was coming at this just kind of like a little bit of, as they say in football, a Hail Mary. Just like, let's just try this and see how it goes. Let's just see what happens. She may be coming at it that way, but despite her ignorance, and I say that with all grace and love. She didn't know what was going on, but despite that, it worked because it wasn't what she did, it's who she touched. That made the difference. She touched Jesus. It was the reason that she got healed because she happened to touch his garment. Was there any magic in the healing of his garment? No. It was the it was the power of Jesus' ability, who he was, what he could do. That made the difference. But she didn't know. Yet she goes after him. And I want y'all to understand, folks, that your family will never be fixed because you're smart enough. You'll never figure it all out. We have to quit assuming that we have the answer and we just need some people to agree with us, maybe our family member to agree with us, and then it'll be okay. No, that's not how this works. You've got to, got to quit assuming that you've got to get it just right. Again, I speak to myself when I say, I want, to, I want to get all my ducks in a row, and I want to make sure this is tested out and make sure this is good before I start doing it. That's what I want to do. 
But we have to quit assuming that we can ever figure that out. We can never get it just right. I want to quit assuming that everything's going to be better if I can do whatever. Sometimes we do that. We say that my life will be better if we have children. Our life will be better when I get another job. Things will be. I'll figure out how to spend more time with my kids if I just can get this raise. I'll do whatever that next thing is. I want y'all to understand those things don't work. You don't have the answers. You don't have the solution. You'll never figure it out. There's one who does. And his name is Jesus. Your job, only job you've got, bring your family to Jesus and say, touch them, Jesus. You touch them. I can't. I've been messing them up for however long I've been having them. But you can help them, Lord. You can fix them. You believe. I believe in you. I don't believe in me. I believe in you, Lord. I believe in you. Last section here, Jesus finally gets to the Jairus' house. And there's all kinds of stuff that goes on here. This is sad, actually. Verse 30, 35, as Jesus is talking to the woman who's been healed, there's somebody comes from Jairus' house and says, Thy daughter is dead. Why trouble us, thou the master in the service? There's all kinds of emotions that come out of this. I think there's these are normal, reasonable reactions. One of them in verse 35, you see it there. Why are you even troubling Jesus any longer? They just give up. They're like, you know, it's over. It's done. Too far. Don't worry. And then in verse 30, I think it's verse 38. Um, there's these people as he comes up there. That there's a tumult. Uh, there's just a lot of lot of chaos, a lot of activity here, and they're weeping and they're wailing. There's people that are distraught. That they're depressed. They're down. And again, I don't blame them. I mean, a little girl just died that they love. They apparently love this little girl. She was somebody that they cared about. They'd be upset as well. And then in verse 40, rather in verse 39, Jesus says that the, the damsel's not dead but asleep. And in verse 40, they laugh him to scorn. It's sarcasm. What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? You're stupid. <laughs> what are you doing? What do you mean? It's sarcastic. They're angry, in fact. I think there's, a, there's an anger in that. The feelings and the emotions are all over the place. But I love how Jesus reacts to each one of these. Go to verse 35. They, they say, no, she's dead. Verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the words, here's what he says. Be not afraid, only believe. He says, I know she's dead. I, I know that that may make you want to give up, but don't worry. You put your faith in me. I got this. There's these people in verse 38 that are, that are distraught. They're weeping. They're wailing. And he says in verse 39, why make you this ado and weep? The damsel's not dead, but sleepeth. He's saying, listen, I'm here now. I've got this. You just put your faith in me. I, I know you're upset. I know it's upsetting. I understand that, but stop. I'm here. You, I got this. And then those people in verse 40 that are laughing him, I love what Jesus does next. They laugh him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he said, y'all get out of here. I don't need you in this place. Y'all just get out of here right now. He gets them out. Of course, he brings mom and dad together with the, with the child. But he just says, get out. But all that is to say that no matter what the feelings were, these people are all over the place, rightly so, but the outcome's still the same. You know what the outcome was? He goes in there, he lifts the little girl's hand up, says, get up, and she's alive. Jesus' touch doesn't change depending on my emotional state. 
I might be I might be upset one day, I might be happy the next. I'll tell you, over the last two weeks, and none of you business all the details of why, but I'll just tell you over the last two weeks, I have been on an emotional roller coaster. I have been on some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows. And even this morning I am trying to get a little bit down here right now just because there's like burdens and things on my mind. But I need to tell you, my emotions are all over the place. Don't count on me for to try to get you excited. But Jesus never changes. My feelings, I can't believe in my feelings, because if I believe in my feelings, oh my goodness. And sometimes we do, and oh my goodness is the outcome. But Jesus can restore your family no matter how you feel. You might have a spouse whose heart whose heart has gone cold. And you may say, Well, it's all over now. Jesus can still step in and change that. You may have a child who's a really strong-hearted rebellion against you and all kinds of authority and causing all kinds of problems. And you may say, I don't think there's any hope because he's just too far gone. But Jesus can still intervene in that. You may have a mom or a dad who's too far away from God and never really wants anything to do with God. I want you to know that God still can work in what we might consider impossible and, 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 and out-of-control situations. Even if your marriage is dead and lifeless, and off track. You may feel frustrated. You might be angry. You might be confused. You might be despondent. All of these are, I want to go ahead and tell you, natural feelings. But I also want to tell, tell you that whatever your feelings are tell, telling you, don't listen to them. His touch can still restore your family. My invitation to you is to believe in the healing touch of Jesus. Some of you need to be restored to be part of the family of God yourself. You need to believe that His touch can bring you into the family of God. You cry out in faith, Lord, please save me. I want you to be invited to come be saved today. Some of you need to be restored to your family. You sit there and objectively, you're not telling me this, you're telling you know that inside of your, the deepest part of your soul, that you're the problem. You need to be restored. You need to repent of something. You need to get something right. And you need to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't fix this by myself. I need your touch. And He will come in and He will change you and He will transform you and make you what you need to be and He will transform your family. He's the one that can do that. You have to ask Him and you need to do what He tells you to do. And some of you are sitting here with a burden on your heart with somebody in your family. It might be a spouse, it might be a strange child, it might, I don't know what the relate, all the relationships you might be concerned about. But you need them to be restored. You've tried everything. In your defense, you've tried everything you can. You've done the best you can. I want you to know that Jesus will restore that relationship, but it's only possible with His touch. You've got to stop trying your stuff. You've got to lean on His touch. And I ask you to stand and ask the next to come and play. I'm going to give you the invitation to come to Jesus for restoration. Lord, please move among your people. I pray that you will help them to come to you. I would pray for your touch to transform, but I know that's just what you do. And I pray that you will have these people come to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.